Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Back here with a special midweek edition of the podcast, heading into the regular season finale at Daytona International Speedway. Who better to have on the show today but the mayor, Jeff Burton. Jeff, thanks for being here. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's talk first. Daytona looming. There's one playoff spot left. We know that Tyler Reddick right now is in position on points for that spot. He's 25 points up on his Richard Childress Racing teammate, Austin Dillon. But Reddick actually lost three points at Michigan, finished 29th, and somehow lost ground on Dillon, even though Dillon crashed at the end of stage two. So a huge, interesting scenario going on there with two teammates brewing. You've got all these other guys. The list is almost too long to name, but you know the Matt Benedettos, the Bubba Wallaces, who can get that last playoff spot with a win. You know, how do you size up what we're going to see here in the regular season finale at Daytona? Well, Nate, I don't, I don't understand how, you know, everybody in the field doesn't have to race hard. I feel like that if you look, if you go through the points and you look at where everybody is in points and you have to remember points matter because you get playoffs points based on where you finish in the regular season. So if you start looking down, it's not just the battle for the championship lead in the regular season championship between Denny Hamlin and Kyle Larson. It's all the way through the field. So, and it's relatively close throughout the field. So being that that's the case, can you give up stage points? You know, can you ride around in the back? These are interesting conversations that teams are having amongst themselves. And what they're all saying is we get the most points by finishing the race, by getting stage points and finishing the race. If you could do all three of those things, get stage points in each stage, finish the race well, that's your best opportunity. But can you do that? Is it reasonable to think that you can do that? And so there's a lot of difficult decisions having to be made. I heard Tyler Reddick the other day. He made a comment that even if Austin Dillon goes and maximizes everything he can in the first two stages, he still has a five-point advantage. And then he only has to be, you know, only has to finish, you know, behind him no more than four spots or whatever that five spots, whatever that is. I'm not sure of the tiebreaker. So in his brain, he's like, okay, I got to make sure I'm there at the end. Right. And I think that's a reasonable discussion for him to be having with himself. But if a new guy wins this race, and if you look at the stats for the last six, you know, have, have been new winners at Daytona. So you have to assume somebody else is going to win. So I, I just think that every team is a very similar situation, much more similar than we think they are. 
and they all need to get finishes and they all need stage points. So I think it, it, it this could be chaotic. We've heard that word a lot, but it really puts drivers and teams in a very interesting situation of how aggressive should you be and should you wait to the end to get those points or try to get them throughout the race? And we've already seen it with Reddick and Dylan, Jeff, the last few weeks uh, in terms of that stage point battle. I mean, certainly in Indianapolis, Reddick wins both stages, very mindful of getting as many points as he can on his teammate. At Michigan, we saw the crash with Brad Keselowski that Austin Dillon had. That was somewhat a byproduct of racing really, really hard for stage points. So we take all that into Daytona, like you said. I mean, essentially, it's almost like I mean, you are the premier advocate for points matter. Points always matter. But it almost feels as if, I, I don't want to overhype this, but to your point that we talk sometimes about guys riding at super speedway races, but it almost feels like this is a super speedway race where points are being paid almost on every lap <laughs> in a way. I mean, I, I know that they're not. I know it's going to be three junctures during the race where they will tabulate those, but it sounds as if guys are almost going to have to approach it that way. Well, Nate, I don't. I also don't think that you can just say, okay, I'm going to take a super conservative approach until we get to the stage in and then just easily work yourself up to get good stage points. Does one point, is that going to separate? I, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I think you got to get six points. You know, so that decision that you make in regard to how aggressive do I need to be and how important is a track position so that I can meet my goals, that drives the whole narrative from the time the green flag drops. And that's what we've seen, like the Penske drivers. They're like, I want to track position because like mm -hmm. once I get it, I might not ever lose it. They get real aggressive. You got some other guys that, you know, they don't don't take that approach. And but I just you had to remember, too, Nate, there's going to be a lot of learning happening. Because this package is different. You know, since Talladega, you know, they took that wicker off the spoiler. They, they've changed the speed of these cars. These cars are not going to draft up like they did previously. So, number one, who's going to learn quick enough to be able to take advantage of it? Number two, all these teams have spent all this time, aerodynamics, wind tunnel time, all these things with this package. You're limited amount of wind tunnel time that you have. Who's been going to the wind tunnel with this, right? This is, they got to learn a lot. And we don't know who has the best cars. I think we don't know going to this race who this package is going to benefit. No practice, no anything. So there's, we add that on top of the list of all the unknowns. We add that on there. But, and then, you know, you mentioned all the drivers that have to win, right? And Austin Dillon, he's in a have to win situation. I mean, some stuff could happen. He could point himself in for sure. But he got, he's got to go in there thinking he has to win. So, And he also is thinking he, he could get in by points. So you know right off the bat he's going to be racing up front, right, to, to try to get as many stage points as he can. Well, well what about Matt Benedetto? Points don't matter to him, right? Daniel Suarez, Bubba Wallace, just go down the list. Just go down mm -hmm. the list. You mentioned it. Stenhouse, right? Can they win this race by not establishing track position? Can they win this race by going into it and saying, I just got to be there at the end? Is that something that's going to work? And you know what? They don't know. We don't know because it's a new package and every race of Daytona has its own energy, has its own, it's its own self. And we just don't know. Daytona is not like Talladega. You can't, four wide is not going to work. So if you're back there riding around and they get three wide in front of you, where are you going? Like you, where are you going? So I think you're going to have for drivers that feel like they have to win, they need to get track position, need to try to keep it. Drivers need point, need to tr get track position, try to keep it. 
you see my problem. Like, I yeah. think that we have a lot of people that are going to have the same goals in mind. There's going to be a lot happening. And like you said, chaotic is just the word. And certainly when this race moved to regular season finale in 2020, we saw a really memorable outcome last year with William Byron winning dramatic race all the way through. And going back to the Daytona 500, obviously the way that race ended, Jeff, and, and the implications of teammates racing each other. And I also think back to the fact that, you know, Denny Hamlin was going for three Daytona 500 wins in a row, and he lost a lot of his Toyota squadron through attrition, where it was essentially yeah. by the end, it was just him and Bubba Wallace and Kyle Busch. And there's strength in numbers at this place. And like you said, you talk about guys like Benedetto. I mean, he's going to have three Penske drivers and Blaney, Kozlowski, Logano, who are already in the playoffs. Will they help him? The last two Daytona races... It seems like there's a lot of things we can kind of pull from there that we can't predict exactly what's going to happen Saturday night, but it seems as if teammates and manufacturer alliances, they're as hugely important as they've ever been at super speedway races. I would expect with all these drivers that need to win, that'll be another factor Saturday. Well, we had this discussion on uh, Motor Mouse on Monday. You know, what if Tyler Reddick finds himself in a situation where he's pushing Austin Dillon with one to go? <laughs> <laughs> and DJ yeah. said... Well, he's got to push him. You know, he's got it. I'm like, no, he doesn't. <laughs> you know, we had this debate. Like, what does Tyler Reddick do? You know, I, I think that we've, what we've seen is we've seen a lot of manufacturer alliances, right? Ford working with Ford, Toyota working with Toyota, Chevy working with Chevy. But now you're in this situation where which Chevy do you help? Do you try to push Austin Dillon into? Do you try to push Daniel Suarez? Do you... Like, what Chevy do you help? Which Ford do you help? And I think that's where what you mentioned, that team alliance could outweigh the manufacturer alliance. You know, all the Penske's to say, okay, we're going to push Matt to Benedetto. That's going to be an interesting thing for me to see. Chevy doesn't really have that situation in my eyes. They have more of a manufacturer alliance, and that kind of splits the Chevys. And the Toyotas, are they going to do everything in their power to push Bubba Wallace? You know, they have it actually the easiest <laughs> in yeah. regard to centering a focus. If they want to try to help somebody, the Toyotas actually have it easier because they're manufacturing Toyota aligned. Right. They're manufacturing and, and Joe Gibbs racing aligned, right? Where right. Ford has multiple teams. Well, you know what? There's a lot of Fords that need help to get in the playoffs. A lot of them. So all that's going to be interesting to see how the manufacturer versus the team alliances, how they get fragmented. And who gets selfish? And to be honest with you, it's time for selfish. I'm I'm all about manufacturers and teams working together, but you know, it comes a point where I, you know, selfish Jeff's like the hell with that. I'm gonna go win this race for me. I don't care who I push. I don't care if it's a Toyota. I don't care if it's a Roush car. I don't. I don't care. Like I'm gonna go get what's good for me. That's what I get paid to do. That's my sponsors expect me to do that. You know, and, and that's where the drivers are continually being pulled in different directions. But I think you could see more splintering of those things this weekend. Yeah, I think to your point on Toyota, I think this is a, a situation where normally we talk about the strength and numbers game hurts them because there's only really five of them. But in this situation, it might actually help them because like you said, Ford might have more cars, but they also have more guys to worry about trying to get in. Toyota can really focus its energy just on Bubba in a sense, which is interesting. So the other big news, Jeff, coming out of Michigan was the COVID-19 protocols that were strengthened for that race. I'm just going to lay out the facts here and then want to get your take on a few elements uh, that we learned over the weekend. Corey LaJoy misses the Michigan race because of a close contact that he had with someone who had tested positive for COVID-19 because he was in the same room with this person. He is placed in protocols, which because Corey LaJoy was unvaccinated, it meant he had a mandatory seven-day waiting period. So he missed the Michigan race. And 
NASCAR held a meeting with drivers last Friday to clarify all of its COVID-19 protocols and policies because drivers admittedly were a little bit spooked by this. Christopher Bell said this was very, very frightening to have Corey LaJoy, who didn't test positive for COVID-19, wasn't sick, but had to miss this race because of this close contact situation. Joey Logano said it scared all of us. So I just want to get your take on that. As a former driver, you know what, how these guys think, how they deal with it. How do you think they took in all this information about the Corey LaJoy situation, about the protocols strengthening and changing and what it means to be involved in a close contact now in a COVID-19 situation? Well, I think it scared all of them, got their attention, uh, got, got my attention, to be honest with you. I mean, I, th I, think, I think, Nate, that we, not only in this sport, but in this country, kind of felt like we were moving beyond this. And then the new this variants come out and it's, you know, said, no, we're not done with this. And I, I feel like emotionally, a lot of us were like, OK, enough of that. You know, we, we've moved on and there were still cases, but much, much lower. Right. And now they're ramping back up. And so I think emotionally, a lot of people moved on and then this, you know, drug them back like this is still a reality. Uh, I know personally that, you know, that's kind of how I've been. And I think a lot of people are in that same situation. So, you know, drivers want to go do their thing and, you know, they want to go drive race cars. They want to go do what the sponsors need. They want to hang out with the fans. Like they want to do all those things, but they view some of those as roadblocks, right? If I'm going to be exposed, then I shouldn't hang out with the fans. I shouldn't go do things. And that's goes directly against what they've been told they need to do all their lives. And then on top of that, you know, the fact that someone was exposed but couldn't, wasn't even allowed to bring a negative test to say, I'm okay. That was like, wait a minute, what are we doing? And of course, NASCAR is like, well, this is what the CDC says is the best thing to do. And this is what the medical experts that we consult with agree with them. And so it kind of sounds, in some ways, it kind of sounds silly, right? If you should, you, why can I not bring a negative test? You would believe a positive test. Why can't you believe a negative test? Well, the CDC and a, a lot of medical experts agree with that. And so NASCAR has to walk this tightrope of how do we allow the sport to continue at the same time, do it in a safe, responsible way. And I don't think any of us are ever going to come to a, com a complete agreement on what that is. Right. But, you know, in NASCAR's defense, how do they go against medical experts in the CDC? They don't want to be in this position, but they're in this position because, you know, we are we have this situation. Right. Some people don't think it's a big deal. Some people think it's a very big deal. But NASCAR has the responsibility. You know, I said I said last week after Indy, you know, it's their damn job to police the sport. Well, it's their damn job to police this, too. And they're doing it the best way they know how and to keep the sport going. So I have I, I see all sides of the story. And I look, I don't think this is a driver versus NASCAR thing. And I don't think it's that at all. I think what it is, is it's driver's perspective, NASCAR's perspective. I don't think they're against each other. It's just there's different perspectives, right? But but NASCAR, ultimately, they have to make the decision. That's their job. They have to make the decision. And the only thing they could do is, is rely on medical experts to help guide the ship. And that's what they're doing. And I understand why some drivers are like, that doesn't make sense to me. I get it. I understand it. But... You know, what 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 else could NASCAR do? I don't think it's a fair argument to say, hey, you know, medical experts are, you know, this driver doesn't agree with you. So we're going to change our policy. Like, I don't think that's the way forward either. 
uh, it's just a tough situation for not only, listen, it's a tough situation for all of us. You know, this is the playoffs are coming. You've worked your whole life to have a chance to win a championship in this level. It means everything to you. It's, it's huge. And the thought that you could be somewhere and get exposed and you have no symptoms and you can't race, that's terrifying. I mean, it's terrifying. And the drivers are like, wait a minute. Like, and, but this is a tightrope that NASCAR is walking. And in my opinion, they're doing the best they know how. And we all, all agree. And I don't necessarily, I can't say that I agree with everything, but at the same time, what's the alternative? Go against medical experts? And that, that you know, and I don't think NASCAR can do that. It doesn't just affect drivers. Brad Keselowski lost his tire changer because exactly. he was in the same room as Corey LaJoy and also was considered a close contact because of that exposure to a positive COVID-19 test. Again, to my knowledge, it wasn't somebody who tested positive or was sick. So, you know, to your point, Jeff, that there's a bigger picture here. Joey Logano talked at length about that at Michigan, about how he saw it when he won the 2018 championship and he realized how many families and how many people were dependent on the yep. bonuses that he got for that. And so Joey Logano canceled three public appearances at Michigan he has no public appearances scheduled for the foreseeable future because, as he said, I can't do that in good conscience right now because I need to think about my team and these hundreds of people, not just my team members, but family members who are depending on them. I need to think about them and put their priorities in front of my obligations to the fans right now. In, in no way is it my position or do I feel that I should be telling people how to run their life? You know, this we live in a great country. And people can make their own decisions. If I was driving, I would have been doing the same thing Joey Logano was talking about. I mean, I it is this is me, okay? I'm not telling any other driver what they should do. But for me, driving a race car was a privilege. It was an honor, a privilege, a gift. I hold that in really high regard to race against the very best. And I sacrificed a lot to make sure I could do that. And if, if I was a driver today, my priority would be I can't test positive. I can't be exposed. And that would mean that my life, how I run my life, would be centered around that. And I would have to figure out how I'm going to be the best prepared physically, emotionally, understanding you know, the race, all those things, how to do that in this time. That's what I would do. And because my life centered around driving that race car, that, that doesn't mean it's right for everybody, but that's what I would have done because I would take away as many opportunities as I could. Clearly there's no way to eliminate all risk, right? Clearly. But you, but I would have had to make a decision. What's important to me. And what was important to me was driving that race car. And the other things would have, would just have to wait. Another layer to this, Jeff, that I want to get into, again, just, just to reframe this, I think the reason the Corey LaJoy situation was so different was because he didn't test positive. He wasn't sick. The previous two times cup drivers have been knocked out of races by COVID-19, Austin Dillon and Jimmy Johnson both had positive tests that were the reasons that they were eliminated. In this instance, by the CDC protocols that NASCAR follows, if you're unvaccinated, there's a seven-day waiting period. So virtually, it doesn't matter when you're exposed with that seven-day quarantine, you are going to miss a race if you are unvaccinated. If you are vaccinated, according to the CDC protocols, 
there's a, essentially a three-day waiting period before NASCAR allows you to return with a negative test. So based off that information, Joey Logano told us this week, this past week, that he decided to get vaccinated because of what happened to Corey LaJoy. And he, both he and Brad Keselowski and others said that this is a discussion right now among drivers about, is it worth getting vaccinated? What's your take on all of that from the driver perspective? Well, listen, I, I like I said before, I'm, I'm people have to make their own decision. And there's people that don't want to take vaccines. There's people don't don't want to get a flu shot. There's people that don't want to be told what they should do. You know, there's all kinds of, you know, there's people that just believe whatever they believe while they don't want to get a, a vaccine. The vaccine, if you have a vaccine, clearly you have, if exposed, clearly there's more opportunity for you to race than if you don't have the vaccine. And for a driver's got to make that decision. Like is what, what I believe, is it worth going against if I don't believe in taking the vaccine because it does greatly give you a better opportunity to race. That's a decision a driver has to make. If you're just completely against vaccines and that'd be a very, very difficult decision. I got, I mean, I I got vaccinated as soon as I could. That was what was right for me. As soon as I could get in, I went in and got vaccinated because that's just what I thought was right for me. And, and, uh, but you know, I have, really close friends that to this day haven't gotten vaccinated and they have their reasons for not doing it. But if you don't do it, you have a right to not do it, but there's a consequence. We have a lot of rights in this country to do a lot of different things. Right. And, and, but there's a, there's a reward and there's a consequence for, for those things. And that's how this is. And a driver just has to make their own decision. Is it what's, you know, what's the value? What's the most important thing in this? And, uh, I feel I feel bad for anyone that feels like they don't want to take a vaccine, but they feel like they they're being told they have to because none of us want to be told what to do. That's just <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't say none of us, but most of us don't want to be told what to do. And, you know, I feel bad for that person. That person's really conflicted about what to do. But clearly, if you look at the rules and you, then you then you take the time to go talk to the NASCAR, the people that police this policy, if you talk to them. And really understand the rule, having a vaccination is a great weapon against keeping you out, you know, to help you be in the car. It gives you a better chance of being in the race car. Uh, but, but again, that's your decision. Yeah. And I'm glad you touched on nobody wants to be told what to do, because I think that applies to, to race car drivers and Probably just racers so. in general. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to get into that a little bit, because like you said, like there's clearly like it's just factual. This is not a political statement. It is factual that if you are vaccinated it is advantageous in terms of an exposure for the time frame being shorter. It is a fact that if you are vaccinated versus unvaccinated, you can come back more quickly if there is an exposure, three days versus seven days. All that being said, we heard a lot from drivers, as you just said, they believe in the individual rights of a person. They believe it's personal choice. We heard Martin Truex Jr. say that he's glad NASCAR hasn't mandated vaccinations. I mean, some other professional sports leagues, I think it's fair to say, have been a little bit more stringent about the way they've enforced vaccination than NASCAR, a little bit more of carrot versus stick type mentality incentivizing people getting vaccinated. So all that being said, Jeff, I just want to just removing anything involving vaccinations, the racer's mentality, you can speak to this, you understand this. Generally, crew chiefs, drivers, teams, they don't like being told what to do, period, right? It doesn't matter what it is. There's a fiercely independent streak runs through NASCAR, runs through racing, right? No question. You know, listen, most of the drivers, crew chiefs, uh, crew members that I know are the kind of people that just are like, get out of my way, I'll do it. I'll handle it, right? And and that's just the personality. They're not rebellious. You know, they're just confident, 
they're confident people. They they believe in themselves. They believe that, you know, give me a problem, I'll go fix it. That's just kind of who they are. And that's, we've gotten a lot of value from that in this sport. We've gotten a lot of value from that bravado that, you know, hey, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to, I can do it myself if I have to. All these people here, we're all doing this together. You know, it's very much in some ways we we uh, we kind of create a divide and conquer mentality, right? So each team divides amongst themselves, and we're going to go conquer. We're going to go conquer all the other teams, and we're at war against those people. <laughs> I know that sounds maybe like an exaggeration to some, but when you live this every day, you are. Now you can respect them, and you you know, but you're at war with them you know, on the racetrack and, and preparing cars and everything else, and. You know, those are certain type of personalities, you know, uh, MMA fighters, right? They, they probably are kind of the same way, you know, like get out of my way. I can handle the situation. And so we have a garage full of people like that. Uh, that's a good thing. I mean, that's a good thing. That's what's driven this sport. That's what's driven this innovation. That's what drives the competition on the sport. Like those are good things. And, and you know, they don't want to be told what to do. They, they, they just don't. They, they like to do things themselves. Uh, one guy who certainly exerted his force of will at Michigan was Ryan Blaney, who, without the fastest car, won that race due to his sublime drafting skills and his ability just to really put his car where it needed to be on that final restart, starting with it just being on the bottom, winning the race from the inside when it seemed like everybody thought you had to be on the outside. Todd Gordon, his crew chief, Jeff, said after the race that he felt like we're witnessing the growth of Ryan Blaney. Yeah, I think he's growing up. I, I think that's that's just part of the maturation and, and, and growing into being a champion. And, and I watched this happen with Joey from 13 to, to, to we won a championship in 18. And Ryan's got tons of potential and, and he's, he's growing into, uh, into the things that he needs to win multiple races to be a champion. And I think, I think he's got that ability in him. It, it's fun to watch that growth happen. And so now he's got multiple victories going into the playoffs, working in his second year with crew chief Todd Gordon, who won a championship with Joey Logano. What do you think we're witnessing here with Ryan Blaney? Because I know that, you know, he's been under the radar for the most part during the course of the season. The Penske cars aren't really being talked about as much as, say, the Hendrick cars, maybe even the Gibbs cars, but they made a showing last year on 750 tracks. And it seems to me like Blaney is starting to emerge maybe as somebody we might be talking about here in these next 10 playoff races. Well, Nate, you know, last year I kept doubling down on. <laughs> I kept in our fantasy league on, you know, on NASCAR American Motor Mouse. I kept doubling down, saying this is his year, this is his time. I really felt like that. I felt like if you look at the number of years he's been in the sport, the number of races that he's had, uh, the speed that he had, uh, they weren't finishing things off, but they had to me they had the speed to get it done. They did, but they couldn't find a way. And and this year I don't think they've had as much speed as they had last year. But he's won two races. Ryan's continue to get better. You know, Ryan's a really good race car driver and it takes time to really get it all together. Like it just does. There's no way around it. It takes time. And every now and then we'll see somebody come in with just unbelievable amount of greatness that can just win a lot of races right off the bat, but it's a rare thing and it takes time. And, and Ryan's going through that process. And now I'm sure when Ryan gets in there and, gets everything tight he knows exactly what he wants to do he knows exactly what the car should feel like things you know you hear football players and basketball players talk about things slow down you know what that means is you just see everything better like you know how to handle situations better and i think that's what we're seeing in ryan now listen i want to be i want i i'm not diminishing ryan's win or anything else but we tend to 
gravitate toward the latest winner. And no way did he have the fastest car on <laughs> Sunday. No. Like, let's don't gravitate toward the latest winner and say, well, they took it to Hendrick or because everything worked out. <laughs> everything worked out. And what was great about that is Ryan won the race without the fastest car. All right. So that's the positive. The negative is they didn't have the fastest car. And and to get through the playoffs, I don't know that you can do that. I don't know that that's going to be good enough to win a championship. You're going to have to have the best car in the latter rounds. In the last two rounds, you're going to have to have speed. I think you can manage your way through that first round and, and maybe a little bit the second. So they still have work to do. You know, without Denny Ham, without, you know, Denny Hamlin jumping on the outside or trying to get on the outside of William Byron and William Byron feel like he has to block. Ryan Blaney could have entered turn three fifth. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right? But, Without the push from Kyle Busch as well. I mean, there, yeah, there were so he two things that happened there. Yeah. That worked for him. Yeah. You know, from Ryan's standpoint, he won the race that slow without the fastest car. And from a driver's perspective, that feels great. Like they almost mean more than when you win with the fastest car, but let's be careful. Hendrick is still the dominant team and they were still the dominant team on Sunday. They, everybody else still has work to do. Kyle Larson still led the most laps at Michigan. Yeah. Uh, William Byron, like you said, was in the catbird seat until Denny Hamlin went to his outside on that last restart. Certainly a lot of things still in, in Hendrick's favor. But those 750 horsepower tracks, which are different than what we saw at Michigan, which was a 550, they're going to determine the championship. And it did seem like last year that Penske found another level in those final 10 races. Well, listen, I, with, with better pit stops, Brad Keselowski has an unbelievable chance to win uh, Phoenix last year. They had enough speed to take it to at least compete against Chase Elliott. They had enough speed. They couldn't get off pit road. So when, when they had when they needed the speed to win the championship, it was there. Can they go back and find that again? Teams get better and teams get worse. It'll be interesting to see. But, you know, it showed me that it is possibility. It is a possibility to go take it to Hendrick. And, and do you know how many surprises we're going to have between now and Phoenix? Like, you know, <laughs> I, you know, remember – Kevin Harvick did not go to Phoenix last year with a chance to win the championship. And everybody said he was going to walk into Phoenix. No problem. <laughs> None. Yeah. So are we going to have, you know, 400 cars at Phoenix competing for a championship? No, we're not. Like, we're not going to have, it's not, it's not how it's going to work out. So, you know, it, there's a lot of things going to happen between now and Phoenix to determine who is even there. But, you know, I think it would be, it would be a surprise if Kyle Larson wasn't there, but we've seen it before. There's going to be a lot of twists over the next 11 races. It all gets started Saturday night at Daytona, regular season finale. This man will be there uh, to call it as part of our broadcast team. Jeff, as always, thanks for being here on the NASCAR NBC podcast. Thank you, Nate. We appreciate Jeff Burton, the mayor, stopping by on the NASCAR on NBC podcast to give us all of his insight. And just a quick reminder, pre-race coverage of Saturday night's regular season finale from Daytona International Speedway will begin at 6 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. And then race coverage from Daytona starts at 7 p.m. Eastern on NBC. So this Saturday night, regular season finale at Daytona. Pre-race coverage starts at 6 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN. Race coverage at 7 p.m. Eastern on NBC. Our thanks again, as always, to Aaron Feldstein, Emily Comboy, and Trevor Gavin for helping with the coordination of guests and production of the NASCAR on NBC podcast. And any feedback you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to 
to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, you put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor, because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. Medela, the mark of the fight. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.